So I have this uh, picture I want to show you. It's this piece of art that hangs in my office just back here. Do you see it? It's the state of Georgia. It's like this wooden plaque. And inside of it are the names of all of the bands that have come from this great state. And if you zoom in, which they can't do back there, so we don't have that sort of technology, uh, it's pretty interesting to read the list of the musical artists and singers and songwriters and bands that come from this state. It's such a diverse, it's like this melting pot of rock, gospel, hip-hop, rap, lots of rap these days coming from this great city, and uh, southern rock. They were even nice enough to put Elton John in there, you know, because if you don't know, he's lived here forever. And, um, but I love this piece of art. It also hangs in Eddie's attic. Anybody been to Eddie's attic? Okay. <laughs> a little sparse, you know, church field trip. Uh, one of the great listening rooms left in the city. Um, but anyway, I do love this piece of art, and when people come into my office, which is a mix of all these shelves of uh, biblical studies and theology works, and then posters of rock and roll stars. So it's, very, it's a very weird space to be in as a pastor. It's like we got Tom Petty overlooking the desk, we got Jerry Garcia at the door, we've got Bob Dylan posters, we've got it all, and then we have like uh, how to be a Christian books, you know. Um, but anyway, this, this state has always put out some great music, and it's always been a great radio town. I don't know if you know what the radio is. It's a free streaming service, <laughs> and it's in your car. And, uh, you know, growing up here, just some great radio stations. I don't know if, if any of you grew up here, uh, but there was Z93. That was like a great station. Anybody? No. Okay. Uh, 96 Rock, if we're going way back. Yeah. A little edgy. It was the first time I heard Led Zeppelin was 96 Rock. Uh, changed my life forever. And, um, but I would say the juggernaut radio station in the 90s was 99X. And yes, and the thing was, it lasted for a long time, a great crew, and then it went away. And then, with I guess the last six months or eight months, they announced the return of 99X to radio, which for some reason is 100.5 on the dial. Uh, just letting you know so you can listen in. And I was so excited to hear that it was restarting. And not only was it restarting, they were bringing back all the old DJs. And uh, a DJ, by the way, <laughs> is a person who talks on the radio, okay, uh, before they play the music. And so, I mean, was anybody else excited about that? Like, a few of the music heads in here? Okay. And I was very excited because I was like, finally... Gen X and the elder millennials finally got their classic rock station. Um, so it's been Dashboard Confessionals and Jimmy Eat World on tap all week long. Um, yep. I haven't heard this much gin blossoms in 30 years. You know? <laughs> it's, been, it's been wonderful. And I will tell you that working in this church is a lot like working in the music store, and this may date me, uh, from the movie High Fidelity. Uh, if you've ever seen that movie, it's just a bunch of music heads working in the music shop, and they're very arrogant. That's pretty much what it's like to work here, because Lindsay and I and the staff that's come through these doors uh, over the years have all been very big music fans. We love music. We have Turntable Tuesdays here, because there's a record player in the office, and everybody brings in a record. Um, they only play mine, though. I only play mine. 
I don't, I don't agree with you that. I'm just going to play mine. Um, by the way, if you ever want to undercut our productivity here, send us a music video. Just text us a music video, and then Lindsay and I will watch it, and then we will fight over the, uh, the goodness of it. You know, and through the years, we've had staff people here. Um, our staff team has been made up of a lot of musicians. Lindsay, who continues to work here, uh, she has an album on iTunes. It's country. You can look for it. It's interesting. Um, <laughs> no, it's great. I just it's interesting she has one. And um, Jeff, who helps lead worship here uh, and plays in the band on Sundays occasionally, uh, when he was on staff here, he put two records out while he was on staff here. He released two uh, albums. Garrett, who led worship this morning, used to work here as well, um, has a master's degree in jazz guitar from Georgia State. So if anybody has a job for him, because <laughs> as a side note, it should say something to you about this place that all these people who used to work here still go here. I just want to point that out. Uh, and for me, well, um, I just go to a lot of concerts and I have a lot of opinions about bands, right? But you know, when it comes to church and music, it's always been a draw for me. I helped out in the band at church in high school. They allowed me to play guitar and sing at youth events and, um, you know, whatever. Whatever I could do to play, they let me do that. And it was a, a big stepping stone for me. When I went to college, I led worship uh, at the weekly service that we had uh, on campus. Uh, I was a youth minister for a long time, like 16 years. And if you were a youth minister in the 90s, it was a staple to be able to pick up a guitar and lead songs. And so I, I did that uh, as well. Church and music have always been a thing for me, but they've, they've also always been a pairing. They've always been a thing that goes, two things that go together. If you go to church, there's going to be some songs, right? Now I know some of you may loathe that part of the church experience, and some of you love it, uh, and some people are in between. But the question I want us to reflect on today is, what are we doing when we're singing in church? Like, what, is, what are we doing? What is happening? In the passage that Addie just read for us, the concluding verse that I hope you noticed is this instruction for the church to sing as part of their life together. That somehow a piece of the Christian experience is music and voice, shared voices raised in songs of praise and worship. And I want us to think about that today and what it means. Let's go through the passage she just read, just pointing out a couple of things. The main verse for us is the back half of verse 16, which says, And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. This is a triad of types of music that we find in the New Testament letters. Psalms, you can probably guess what those are, right? If you have a Bible, just open it to the middle. Hey, we're in the Psalms. And the Psalms were uh, scripture, and the Psalms were and still remain like the hymn book of the Bible. They are meant to be sung, set to music, and used as worship. Many, many, almost all worship songs, modern, are based in lines from psalms or entire psalms themselves. So when we're singing a song 
on Sunday, you can, you can almost be assured that it's rooted in the Psalms somewhere. Hymns, early Christian canticles, as we call them, uh, that were possibly in circulation. So Paul here is saying, sing those too. Some are found in the New Testament. We can find these kind of songs there. Um, in the early second century, uh, we have these letters from someone named Pliny the Younger, and he's writing to the Emperor Trajan, and what he's writing about are, is this newly, it's still new, these Christian people, and he can't quite figure out what to do with them. They don't quite fit the Roman religion template and structure, and yet here they are, and we have these letters uh, that he writes to the emperor, and I don't mean to be macabre, but he's like, should I kill them? You know, generally. Um, but he describes what he's seeing in these ancient Christian communities, that they tended to meet on a fixed day before dawn, which we don't do. I can't imagine a sunrise service for this congregation. Um, I, I picture 80% of you are just like, we'll just stay up all night, you know. But they meet, they made on a fixed, meet on a fixed day before dawn, and then uh, he would say, when they meet, they, quote, recited uh, an antiphonal hymn to Christ as God. They're singing about this Jesus as if he were God. We have this other verse in the book of Acts, the scene where Paul and Silas are in prison. And Luke writes, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing what? hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And then there's these spiritual songs that Paul mentions. Psalms, hymns, spirit. what are spiritual songs? <laughs> well, that was the new stuff, the fresh cuts, the new releases, whatever you got. You know, anybody got a song? Anybody written something? Uh, and they would sing these things together. So the singing was just a normal part of these Christian gatherings. But the singing, however as we see in the passage, is a response to something. In the verse, it's a response of gratitude. And this gratitude gives a certain energy to the songs. But gratitude for what? In gratitude, sing these songs and hymns and spiritual songs. But we have to back up. In the beginning of the passage, Paul writes, As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. These are baseline traits for the church community, for you, for me. And this idea of clothing yourself is a phrase that's used to um, connote this new identity. I'm putting on a new costume, and it looks like this. It looks like compassion and kindness and humility and so forth. Clothe yourselves in these things. And what's interesting is at times, I'm sure you know this, but the world that we live in can often run in the opposite direction of these virtues. And what the Apostle Paul is urging this church to do and us is to be a community where these things are normalized and they're expected. When we come into this space, when we meet in parish groups and homes, when we are together, it's a community of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And it starts with compassion. Compassion, everything flows out of that. Compassion is not the end result, it's the beginning. 
And everything flows from that. The word compassion is beautiful. It's this, it has a physical meaning, something in the gut. It's a physical reaction to brokenness and suffering in the lives of the people that you know, that the people who are around you. And it should give mercy, birth to mercy, not judgment. Amen? And that's how the rest of the passage unfolds. Clothe yourselves with compassion. So it just goes to stand that the next thing would be obvious, verses 13 and 14 here. Bear with one another. You know, be patient. If anyone has a complaint against another, forgive. Just forgive. Just as the Lord forgave you, so you must also forgive. And above all, Paul says, clothe yourselves with what? Love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And that word's not accidental. There's a mixture of things coming into one. It's a lot of words, but there's a simple and Christ-centered ideal in this text of being the kind of people that bear with one another in each other's weaknesses and limitations, a church of forgiveness and new starts, a community of mercy, because the church knows that life is hard. And the love that he mentions here, clothe yourself in love, is the Greek word agape, which is this unyielding and bottomless love of God that we sung about just before I walked up here. There's just no way to contain that kind of love. And then we get to our verse. The whole verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What is that word? It's what we just talked about, this gospel of grace and mercy. Let that dwell in you. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom about that. And with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. So when I think about singing in the church, I think singing does three things for us. I think singing is a response. I think it's also an act of resistance. And I think it's also a, a, a comforting thing. It's a, it's a habit of comfort. And what the Apostle Paul was urging this church to do was to be a kind of display of the Jesus way, that these people would embody the kind of grace and mercy that flowed from Jesus into the lives of others, and that these traits would be the ones that gave the church its shape and its function, compassion, gentleness, meekness, humility, all of that. And I've said this before, but whether or not the church has what it takes to make the world a better place is something that's really hard to know. But it does have this calling and the freedom, I want to remind us of, to be the better place in the world. Whether the world changes because of the church, it feels immaterial, but it can be the better place within the world. And Paul is urging this church and ours as well and all the churches that read this letter to think and to live in this way. Like, this is an alternative space to the world in which we live, that we get to practice the ways of Jesus here. And I've said this before too, like church is just practice. It's, we're practicing heaven, amen? That's what we're doing. We're not great at it, but we try. 
and we get a taste of it. And when the church is functioning as a merciful and gracious community, it is participating in this ongoing announcement of God's love for the world. And when we are dialed into that, there's a gratitude that arises within us. So in a way, singing is a response to that. It's a response to the gospel. We sing as a grateful people. I think about the song Amazing Grace. Anybody know that one? Sure you know that one. Do you know the story behind it? Maybe you don't. Lucky you, I'm going to tell you. (laughs) It's written by John Newton, who was, and I'm shortening this story because it's long, but John Newton was the captain of a slave ship. Do you know what that means? Of course you know what that means. He's involved in the 1700s in shipping slaves to Europe. And he has all these experiences that lead him to a place where he doesn't want to do that anymore. And so these words that we know so well, they come from that story. That hymn was not written by a sheltered kid who grew up in church and never missed Sunday school and knew all their memory verses. That hymn, Amazing Grace, came out of the shadows of a man's life that was going in the opposite direction of God. And it sits in our hymn book as a reminder that many of the songs we sing are songs of gratitude for the grace and the mercy of God, who, as the song says, saved a what? Wretch like me. Do you know what that word means? It's not, it's not endearing. Who saved a wretch like me? These old hymn writers, they're not making a buck on their lyrics, you know? They're expressing real experiences with God. And that song is like many songs that we have in the canon of Christian worship come from places of these kinds of experiences. And so it's a response to the gospel. We sing because we are grateful. But singing is also an act of resistance. When we stand and sing songs together, which we'll do at the end of the service, and we've done at the beginning, when we sing songs that speak of God's love over us and over the whole world, we are resisting the human impulse to give up on hope and to give up on a future. There's a politic in Christian worship that envisions a better way. Amen? Take the song, O Holy Night. It's a Christmas song. It's nice and cute. Check this lyric out. Truly he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all what? Oppression shall cease. That's no Christmassy song. That's, and this is written in the middle of the 1800s. This is envisioning and claiming a better way. Amen? It's resisting what is. 
Sometimes these songs we sing, they are acts of resistance. And sometimes you can feel that when you sing them. And finally, I want to close with this. Sometimes we sing as a means of comfort. Because sometimes we don't believe in the grace of God, at least at the moment. We come into this room and it feels distant. Maybe you feel that way today. Sometimes we're lost in our own lostness. It's very foggy. And God's presence is elusive. But when we stand in this room together and we sing these songs with our voices, what you need to know is that someone in this room, someone within earshot of your voice is listening. And what you're doing is overlaying their uncertainties and fears with words of peace and hope. Did you know you're doing that? I don't want you to look around during singing, but sometimes people don't sing. And sometimes the reason they don't sing is they don't know. They don't feel that. But sometimes they're listening. And they're hearing things that they don't often hear. That the love of God is greater far than anything. They're listening. And there are Sundays when people need to hear you sing. There are Sundays when I need to hear you sing. I need you to sing over me. And there are Sundays when you need that too. And so when we stand up in this room, when these pews creak as we rise, we're not just filling time with music. We're announcing the presence of God and God's mercy and grace in this place, in our lives, and in this world.